A sermon by Samuel Davies. Davies lived from 1723 to 1761. He was known for many things. He was a successor of Jonathan Edwards at Princeton University, at that time known as the College of New Jersey, and he helped to raise needed funds in the United Kingdom to build and fund the new school. He is also known as a founder of Southern Presbyterianism. He convinced the King of England to grant toleration to the colonies in their religious observances. Davies was a model of social action, educating slaves and championing many other social causes. Samuel Davies was, however, first and foremost, an evangelistic preacher of God's word. As intense as was Davies' interest in the causes of his country and his people, his zeal for the spiritual welfare of his own flock was even greater. Not only was he intent on preaching the gospel within his own immediate sphere, which was very extensive, but he was prompt to obey any summons that might carry him abroad. He had more to do with the formation of new churches and the settlement of ministers over them than any other minister in the colony. He was, by universal consent, the master spirit of the Presbyterian Church throughout the southern colonies and was considered one of the two greatest American evangelists of the 18th century. The following sermon from the sermons of Samuel Davies is called The Doom of the Incorrigible Sinner. Proverbs 29, verse 1 He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. A proverb is a system of wisdom in miniature. It is a pertinent striking observation expressed in a few words, that it may be the more easily remembered, and often in metaphorical language, that it may be the more entertaining. A collection of proverbs has no connection, but consists of short, independent sentences, each of which makes full sense in itself, and therefore in explaining them, there is no need of explaining the context, but we may select any particular sentence and consider it separately by itself. Such a collection of wise sayings is that book of the sacred scriptures, which we call the Proverbs of Solomon. Wise men in all ages and in all languages have often cast their observations into the concise, significant forms of Proverbs. But the sages of antiquity, especially, were fond of the method of instruction and left legacies of wisdom to posterity, wrapped up in a proverbial dress, many of which, particularly of the Greek philosophers, are extant to this day. Solomon chose this method of recording and communicating his wise observations, some of the which he lived. The sacred memoirs of his life inform us that he spake 3,000 Proverbs, 1 Kings 4.32. Of these, the most important and useful were selected, probably by himself, and afterwards by the men of Hezekiah, that is, by persons appointed by Hezekiah to copy them off. As they are conveyed down to all ages in this cabinet of precious jewels, the book of Proverbs. Among the many significant and weighty sayings of this wisest of men, the Solomonitory proverb in my text deserves peculiar regard. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck 
shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. The request of a friend, and my fears that this proverb may have a dreadful accomplishment upon some of my hearers, have induced me to make it the subject of your meditations for the present hour, and oh that the event may show I was divinely directed in the choice. This proverb may be accommodated to all the affairs of life, and whatever course a man blunders on, headstrong, and regardless of advice and admonition, whether in domestic affairs, in trade, in politics, in war, or whatever it is he pursues by wrong measures with incorrigible obstinacy, it will ruin him at last as far as a matter is capable of working his ruin. To follow the conduct of our own folly, and refuse the advantage we might receive from the wisdom of others, discovers an uncreaturely pride in self-sufficiency, and the career of such a pursuit, whatever be the object, will always end in disappointment and confusion. In this extent, perhaps, this adage was intended by Solomon, who was a good economist and politician, and well-skilled in the affairs of common life, as well as those of religion. But he undoubtedly intended it should be principally referred to matters of religion. It is especially in these matters it holds true in the highest sense, that he, being often reproved, hardeneth himself, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. He that being often reproved. This is undoubtedly our character. We in this congregation have been often reproved, and that in various forms and by various monitors. We have been reproved from heaven and earth, by God, men, and our own consciences, and, I might add, by the irrational creation and even by infernal spirits. Men of various classes have reproved us. It is the happiness of several of us to live in families where we are often reproved and admonished, with the tender affecting address of a father and a master, who are deeply concerned that their children and domestics should be their companions in the heavenly road, and be effectually warned from the alluring paths of sin and ruin. And have not our affectionate mothers often become our monitors, and gently yet powerfully reproved us with that forcible eloquence which could only proceed from the heart of a woman and a mother? Or if our parents have been cruelly deficient in this noblest office of love, has not God raised up unexpected reprovers for us in a brother, a sister, or perhaps a poor despised slave? And who can resist the force of an admonition from such an unexpected quarter? And have not some of us found an affectionate, faithful monitor in the conjugal state, a husband or a wife, that has reproved the vices or the negligence and carelessness of the other party, and by striking example at the least, if not in more explicit language, given the alarm to greater diligence and concern in the affairs of religion and eternity? Such are powerful, though modest and private assistance to the ministers of the gospel, and oh, that they had but more assistance from this quarter, to encourage the few among you that improve the intimacy of this near relation for so important and benevolent a purpose. 
Let me remind you of Paul's tender excitement to this duty given 1,700 years ago. What? Knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? 1 Corinthians 7.16 The tender names of husband and wife have so much force in them as may irresistibly constrain us to perform all the kindest offices in our power to those who bear them. But, oh, to save a husband, to save a wife, to save those dear creatures from everlasting misery, how great, how important the kindness, and by so much the more pleasing, by how much the dear the persons are to whom it is shown. But to return, if we are not so happy as to be agreeably surrounded with such honest reprovers in our own houses, yet, blessed be God, we live in a neighborhood where we may meet with one of them here and there. Has not a pious friend or a neighbor dropped a word now and then in conversation which might have served and perhaps was intended as a serious admonition to you? Alas, have you never had a friend in the world who has sometimes taken occasion to talk solemnly and pungently with you about the neglected concerns of your souls? Or at least has not his example been a striking lesson to you? Alas, is it possible one should live in this congregation without enjoying the benefit of a reprover? Sure, there are still some among us to bear their testimony against sin and espouse the deserted cause of religion. But if the friends of religion have been silent, and indeed they are generally too modest in this respect, yet have you not sometimes received an accidental, undesigned reproof even from the wicked, just as Caiaphas once prophesied of the death of Christ and its blessed consequences? not to observe that their eagerness and indefatigable industry in pursuing their pleasures, whether they place them in honor, riches, or sensuality, and in serving their guilty lusts, in spite of all restraints, may serve as a pungent reproof of your lukewarmness and carelessness in the pursuit of the pleasures of religion and immortality so much more noble and interesting. But I say, to take no notice of this, have they not at times rebuked you in more direct terms? Have they not twitted and reproached you to this purpose? I thought you, that pretend to be so much sanctity, would not dare to venture upon such a thing. Or see the saint, the communicate, the Presbyterian drunk, see his fraud and villainy, see him as vain and frolicsome as his neighbor's. Sure we that make no such profession may take such liberties, since such saints do so. Such reflections as these, my brethren, however sarcastical and malignant, blind and bitter, have all the keenness of the sharpest reproof, and oh, that none of us may ever give any occasion for them. But if offenses should come to occasion them, may our hearts always feel their force. Thus may we derive good out of evil, be warned from sin by sinners, and restrained in our career to ruin by those who are themselves rushing into it. But though all around you, both saints and sinners, should refuse to be your monitors, how many solemn warnings and reproofs have you had from the pulpit? You have heard many ministers of Christ who have been your solemn admonishers in the dread name of their master. 
and it is now 11 or 12 years since I have begun to discharge the painful and unacceptable office of a reprover of sin and sinners among you. And what kind and liberal assistance have I received in my office, from the other side of the vast ocean, and in many excellent books which British piety and charity have furnished us with? Our friends, whose voice cannot reach you, have sent over reprovers into your houses, reprovers that speak particularly to the poor, especially to the neglected slaves. In short, I know no spot of America so happy in this important respect as Hanover. Thus have you been reproved by men from all quarters, and certainly so loud, so general, so repeated an admonition, even from men, must have been great weight. But who can resist an admonition from heaven? Surely if Jehovah, the great sovereign of the universe, condescends to be a reprover, you must immediately take the reproof and set about a reformation. Well, this office he has condescended to sustain. He has himself become your monitor, and that in various ways, both immediately and immediately immediately by his word and providence, and immediately by his blessed spirit whose office it is to reprove the world of sin. John 16, verse 9 The word of God has reproved you, has honestly laid before you the destructive consequences of sin, and denounced the divine displeasure against you on its account. All its commands, prohibitions, and dissuasives of various forms are so many friendly warnings and admonitions to you. He conveys his reproofs through your eyes and ears when you read and hear his word. And sometimes, I doubt not, he has made the hardest heart among you feel his rebukes and tremble under them. In short, you must own yourselves that if any of you go on obstinately in sin and perish, it will not be because the word of God did not act a faithful part towards you, but because you presumptuously disregard its most solemn and affectionate warnings. Again, God has often reproved you by His providence. His providence has kindly chastised you with personal and relative afflictions, with sickness and pains, bereavements, losses, and disappointments. Providence has admonished you with the striking voice of sick beds, dying groans, ghastly corpses, and gaping graves in your families or neighborhoods, or perhaps in both. How many among us in a few years have been brought down to the gates of the grave that they might enter into a serious conference with death and eternity, which they were so averse to in the giddy and thinking hours of health and hurry of business? And what narrow escapes, what signal unexpected deliverance has providence wrought for you in those seasons of danger and distress that you might enjoy a longer space of repentance how many of our friends and neighbors have sickened and died for the admonition of survivors? Providence has pitched upon one here and there that was wont to sit among us in our religious assemblies and make him an example and a warning to the rest. They are gone before to show us a way and put us in mind that our turn also will soon come. Sickness and death, expiring agonies, pale corpses, the nail, the shroud, the mattock, and the grave, 
the deep, damp vault, the darkness and the worm. These are very solemn monitors, and that heart is hard indeed that does not feel their reproof. Our dying friends come o'er us like a cloud, to damp our brainless ardors and abate, that glare of light which often blinds the wise. Our dying friends are pioneers to smooth our rugged paths to death, to break those bars of terror and abhorrence nature throws, cross our obstructed way and thus to make welcome as safe our port from every storm, each friend by fate snatched from us is a plume. The providence of God has also reproved us in common with our countrymen by the public calamities that have hovered over or fallen upon our land and nation, and particularly by the ravages and desolations of war. Providence has commissioned Indian savages and French papists to be our reprovers, and loudly admonished us with the horrid roar of cannons, the clangor of martial trumpets, and all the dread artillery of ruin and death. What ear among us has not heard, what heart has not trembled at this terrible warning? Thus, in a thousand other ways, has Providence concurred with the word and feelingly reproved us with its fatherly rod. And we should always remember that the hand of providence is the hand of God, whatever instruments he is pleased to use. But has he not often laid aside all instruments and reproved you more immediately by his spirit? Has not his spirit been long and frequently striving with you, reproving you of sin, alarming you with apprehensions of your danger, exciting in you good resolutions and serious thoughts of reformation? Has not the blessed Spirit at times borne home the word upon your hearts with unusual power, and roused your consciences to fall upon you with terrible, though friendly, violence? Which leads me to add, you have been your own monitors. I mean your consciences have often admonished and warned you, have whispered in your breasts, that this course of vice and irreligion will not do, this carelessness and indifferency in the concerns of your souls, this stupid neglect of God and eternal things will not end well. Conscience has often honestly pronounced your doom. Thou art a guilty, wicked creature under the displeasure of God. Thou art destitute of true, vital religion and hast no title to the divine favor. If thou die in this condition, thou wilt be undone forever. Thus has conscience warned you, and you have no doubt sometimes sweated and agonized under its chastisements, though you have preposterously labored to bribe it or suppress it by violence, yet it is still born at least a faint testimony for its master and against you. Thus you always carry a reprover in your own bosoms wherever you go. And though every mouth around you should be silent, this will speak, if you do but attend and give it fair play. I may add that even the irrational creation is your monitor, and in silent but forcible language remonstrates against your conduct, 
Can you hear the musicians of the air in every bush warbling our grateful anthems to their maker without being convicted of your guilty silence in his praise? Can you see the sun invariably rolling in the path first marked out for him by his maker and Lord without feeling yourselves reproved for your numberless deviations from the path of duty? Do not the regulated stated revolutions of the seasons and of night and day sensibly reprove your neglect of the returns of the hours of devotion? In short, does not all nature cry out against you? Is not everything you see obedient to its maker's laws? But man, man, who should claim the precedence and obedience as he is appointed lord of the lower creation, nay, even infernal spirits, those everlasting enemies of man and goodness may serve as your reprovers. Can you think of their unwearied roaming over the earth in quest of souls as their prey and their industry and toil to do mischief without blaming your own negligence to save your souls and do good? And could you but hear the lost ghosts of your own race? You are now shut up in the infernal prison, bursting out into despairing cries and bitterly accusing themselves for their presumption and security, their lazy delays, misimprovement of time and neglect of the means of grace while upon earth. How loud and striking a warning would this be to you, who are now walking in their steps. Thus, my brethren, I have given you a brief list of your many monitors, and who can stand the united proofs of such a multitude? Who dare set himself against the admonition of earth, heaven, and hell, of God and all his creatures? Must you not all yield to the warning? Solomon supposes in my text that a man may be often reproved and yet harden his neck, that is, obstinately refuse submission and reformation. A stiff neck is a metaphor often used in Scripture to signify an unyielding, incorrigible spirit, resolute in disobedience in spite of all restraints, in spite of advice, dissuasives, and reproofs. And the heart in the neck is to confirm oneself in disobedience, in opposition to admonition, or to refuse to reform and strengthen oneself in the refusal, in spite of all the means of reformation. It is to cherish obstinacy, to despise reproof, and resolve to follow a headstrong, impetuous self-will at all adventures. The metaphor is taken from an unimaginable, sullen ox that will not bend his neck to the yoke, nor kindly draw under it, but stiffens his neck, that it may not bear it, and hardens it, that it may not feel it, and the lash and the go do not break his obstinate spirit, nor reduce him to willing subjection. Thus nothing but a solemn and senseless beast can represent the stupid unreasonable conduct of that man who hardens himself in sin, against the strongest dissuasives and reproofs from God and his creatures. And is not this a character of some of you? I am very unwilling to presume such bad things of any of you, but I must at least put it to your consciences to determine whether it be so or not. Thus, you may know by this single inquiry whether you have reformed of those things for which you have been reproved, or whether you still obstinately persist in them, in opposition to the most striking admonitions. 
The profane and profligate among you have often been reproved for your vices, your drunkenness, swearing, lying, contempt of sacred things, and other immoralities. But do you not still obstinately persist in the practice of them? You have often been reproved for the neglect of the worship of God in your families and the souls of your domestics. What warm remonstrances have you heard upon this head? And yet have you not been prayerless in your families, prayerless mornings and evenings still? Have you not been solemnly warned of the danger of neglecting or carelessly attending upon the means of grace, and yet you are negligent and careless still? Have you not been earnestly admonished for your presumption and security, your entertaining high hopes of future happiness, and that you were genuine Christians at random without honest trial and repeated self-examination? And yet, do not some of you still persist in the stupid pernicious conduct? Alas, how ignorant of your own true character! Unwilling you are dragged to the bar of cunts, agreeable to the Tate agents, there to be tried and hear your sentence. How ready are you to flatter yourselves with pleasing expectations, though in reality contrary to the declarations of eternal truth? And how secure and thoughtless are you about the great concerns of religion and eternity? How lukewarm and inactive in the duties you owe to God and man, and your endeavors to work out your salvation? But have you not been solemnly warned of the pernicious consequences of this cause? How often have you been honestly told that this is not the narrow and rugged road of virtue and religion that leads to heaven? How often have you been warned of the danger of mistaking external formalities for vital religion and a mere profession of Christianity for the hard experience and constant practice of it? And yet do not some of you indulge this destructive mistake still? Have you not often been reproved for your contenting yourselves with a dead, fruitless faith, an empty speculation, or historical belief, with transient, unwilling fits of servile repentance that produce no reformation, and a counterfeit appearances of other graces and virtues? I say, have you not often been reproved for contenting yourselves with these, instead of that lively, operative, heart-affecting faith? that kindly, ingenuous, voluntary repentance and thorough reformation, and those other active, practical graces and virtues which are required in the gospel as essential constituents of a true Christian and absolutely necessary prerequisites to everlasting life. And yet you willfully indulge the delusion still and are unwilling to admit conviction and discover the truth. How often and how solemnly have you been reproved for your excessive eagerness and avarice in the pursuit of this vain world, and your stupid neglect to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and to be rich towards God? And yet is not this enchanting world your favorite and the idol of your hearts still? And are you not still careless what will become of you through an everlasting duration in an infinitely more important world? That one expostulation from Christ himself might have been an irresistible rebuke to you. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? But alas, have you not stood out against this and a thousand other pungent admonitions? 
Have you not often had the dreadful guilt and danger of making light of Christ and His precious gospel, of delaying your conversion to some uncertain hereafter, and of presuming upon the mercy and patience of God, exposed to your view in a striking light, and yet you have still persisted in the practice in spite of reproof and conviction? I might easily multiply instances on this head, but these must serve as specimens at present. And I shall only add this general rule for your further conviction, that whatever sin you indulge yourselves in, whatever duty you omit, whatever grace or virtue you live destitute of, in opposition to the conviction of your minds within, and of the reproofs and admonitions of God and man from without, you are then guilty of hardening your neck. And if this be the case, how many of you are involved in this guilt? Lay your hand now upon your heart and say, Does not conscience whisper, or perhaps clamor, Guilty, guilty. It is strange, it is unaccountable, it is horrible that there should be such a monster upon earth, on whom the repeated reproofs and warnings of God and his fellow creatures have been thrown away, and who dares singly to stand it out against the whole universe. But alas, are there not many such monsters among us? To reprove them again is a very unpromising and almost desperate attempt, for they have been so inured to it that they are hardened against it and set it at defiance. Yet duty and compassion constrain us to make the attempt once more, for oh, we cannot yet give them up as altogether desperate, nor resign them with willing hands as a tame prey to ruin. I know no other way to bring them out of danger but to make them sensible of it. And this I shall attempt in illustrating the remaining part of the text, which informs you of the plain truth, that he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, or broken, and that without remedy, or, and there is no cure. The stiff neck, that will not bend to the yoke of obedience, must be broken and its own stiffness renders it the more easily broken, for it is not easy to break what is yielding and pliable. But even the resistance of the stiff neck occasions its own ruin. It may harden itself into insensibility under reproof, but, oh, it cannot harden itself into insensibility under divine judgments. It may refuse the easy and gentle yoke of the divine law, but divine justice will forcibly impose its iron yoke upon it, and constrain it to bow till it be broken. This is the doom of the obstinate, incorrigible sinner. Thus shall he be destroyed and broken to pieces. But this is not all. He shall suddenly be destroyed, suddenly broken. Sudden ruin is aggravated because it strikes a man into a consternation, overtakes him unawares, surprises him at a disadvantage, when unprovided with any methods to escape, and also tears all his pleasing hopes from him. And by how much the higher the hopes from whence he falls, by so much the deeper he is engulfed in misery. Sudden ruin is a certain and natural consequence of a man's incorrigible obstinacy in spite of admonition. He must be ruined because he will not be warned, nor forsake the path that leads to destruction. He will even take his own way at all adventures, and no man can help it, and therefore he must be destroyed. He must also be suddenly destroyed, because he would hope for safety in spite of warning. Suddenly broken, because he would not foresee the blow. 
until he feels a stroke. He would not believe it was coming, and therefore his destruction is sudden, surprising, and confounding. This is the natural end of foolhardiness and obstinacy, in spite of all constraints and admonitions, and there is no help for it. Such obstinacy and presumption is an incurable disease that excludes all remedy. This is implied in the last part of the text. He shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy, or as it might be more literally rendered, and there is no cure or medicine or healing. There can be no preventative medicine to such a self-willed, headstrong creature, because he will not apply it and pushes off every friendly hand that would apply it. And there can be no such healing or restorative medicine applied for the breach. When made is desperate, it admits no cure. The stiff neck is broken in pieces, so that it never can be healed. Then the patient, so obstinate before, would most willingly apply a remedy, but, oh, it is too late. Reproofs and admonitions from God and men and our own consciences are the great means to recover sinners, and while these are ineffectual, no other can possibly have any effect. How can he be reclaimed from sin who will sin in opposition to all restraints, in opposition to the checks of conscience and the strivings of the Holy Spirit within, and the united dissuasives and rebukes of providence, of the word of God and all of its friends from without? Neither God nor all his creatures can reform and save such a wretch, while he continues proof against all the means of reformation and salvation. It is unavoidable that he should suddenly be destroyed, and there is no help for it. He must be given up as incurable. The whole universe may look on and pity him, but alas, they cannot help him. He has the instrument of self-murder in his own hand, and he will not part with it, but uses it against his own life without control, and none can take it out of his hand. That is, none can give his free will a new turn, but that God whom he is daily offending, and who is therefore not obliged to obtrude such a favor upon him. This is the unavoidable doom of the man that being often reproved hardeneth his neck. And since this is the character of some of you, have ye not reason to fear and forebode this tremendous doom? Let me reason a little with you for your further conviction. Your danger will appear from these two considerations, that if you always continue in your present condition, proof against all admonition, you must be destroyed without remedy and that there is dreadful reason to fear you always will continue in your present condition, that if you live and die in your present condition, you must be destroyed without remedy, is lamentably evident from what has been said. It is a declaration of the wisest of men, inspired from heaven. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be broken, and there is no remedy. It is one of the proverbs of this wisest of men. Now a proverb is a wise remark, made after long observation and frequently exemplified in the world. Therefore, when we consider Solomon here not only as speaking an inspired truth, but pronouncing a proverb, it is as if he had said, This I have collected from long experience and careful observation of mankind in the course of providence. This is daily exemplified in the world without exception. 
This all ages may regard as a sure and important truth, and I recorded among my immortal proverbs for their warning that he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and there is no remedy. A proverb being a familiar observation upon the common occurrences of the world, it follows further that the accomplishment of it is a common thing that falls under every man's notice to his full conviction, and therefore Solomon, by inserting this remark among his proverbs, intimates that the sudden and remediless destruction of an incorrigible sinner is a familiar event that falls under every man's notice, and which no man can dispute without disputing the common sense and experience of mankind. Thus certain irreprovable sinners, thus common is your doom if you continue in your present condition. It is certain, it is common, even to a proverb. And if you still go on in your present course, you will at last become a hissing, a byword, a proverb to all the world. Your destruction, as I observed, is unavoidable and remediless. According to the nature of things, it is a natural, spontaneous, and inseparable result and effect of an incorrigible obstinacy. You resolutely set your own free wills, which are not under the control of any creature but yourselves, upon your own ruin. And what then remains but that you must be ruined? To ruin you must go, though attended with the prayers and tears of the saints and checked by their friendly admonitions, enforced with those of God himself. They cannot help you against your wills. What can keep you from engulfing yourselves in destruction when you break through all restraint from God and the whole creation? You reject the only means of cure, and must you not die as incurables? If the Spirit of God strives with you in vain, if conscience check and admonish you in vain, if providence uses its chastening rod in vain, if sickness and death and grave preach in vain, if Bibles and good books are put into your hands in vain, if ministers and friends and neighbors and the dearest relatives advise and persuade and warn you and reprove in vain, if heaven and earth and hell, if God and all his creatures admonish in vain, what hopes can yourselves entertain of your salvation? What better means can you desire? What other means can you expect? Can you hope to be reformed and prepared for heaven when these means the best and only means that ever were used with sinful creatures, and which have proved effectual in the most discouraging cases, have no effect upon you? Judge yourselves whether your destruction is not unavoidable in your present condition, and that you will always continue in your present condition is, alas, but too probable. You have been continued in it all your life past, and is this not a dreadful presumption that you will continue in it all your life to come? Can you expect better means than you have had? Or are your hearts become more soft and pliable now when hardened by an obstinate course of incorrigible impenitence that you should hope the same means will have greater efficacy upon them in time to come than formerly? Are you as sure of twenty or thirty years before you as that you have enjoyed twenty or thirty years in times past? Is God the less provoked by how much the longer you have offended him, so that you have the more encouragement to expect the assistance of his grace hereafter than formerly? Are you now any more out of danger of being judicially hardened and given up of God than ten years ago? And are you the more sure of his favor by how much the more you deserve his wrath? Are the habits of sin grown weaker through inveteracy and long indulgence? 
Does the work of your salvation grow easier by delays and by your having fewer days for work? Does conscience gain strength upon you by your repeated violences, or does the Spirit of God work the more powerfully the more you resist and grieve Him? Does your being inured to the gospel give it greater force upon you? If the happy change of your present condition be probable, the probability must depend, in human view, upon such absurdities as these. But can these be the foundation of probability? No, but of the greatest improbability. The truth of the case is your condition is growing more and more discouraging every day, and you are approaching fast towards a fixed, unchangeable state of incorrigible obstinacy and wickedness. Ten years ago, it was much more likely in human view that you would have been converted ere now than it now is, that you will be converted in ten years to come. In short, the only ground of hope concerning you is not at all from the appearance of things in human view, but merely from the free and sovereign grace of God. I may say of your salvation what Christ said of the salvation of the rich, with men, that it is impossible, that is, according to the ordinary way of judging among men, who can judge only by appearances, and who can count those things likely or unlikely, possible or impossible, which seem to be so in their own nature, according to this rule of judging, there is no reason at all to hope for it. It is quite desperate, but with God all things are possible. He can and sometimes does act contrary to appearances and the natural tendency of things, and astonishes his creatures with unexpected and surprising wonders. Thus, veteran, obstinate sinners, he may yet deal with some of you. Omnipotence may yet take you in hand, disarm all your resistance, and cause you to feel those admonitions you have made light of. This, perhaps, God may do, but, oh, it is an anxious, dreadful peradventure, for you must know, though he sometimes singles out a hardened sinner of your class here and there, to make him the illustrious trophy of the power of his grace, yet this is not his usual way. He does not commonly work upon such rough, unsuitable materials. He has generally pitches upon the young and pliable, upon those that have not been long inured to the gospel, nor hardened in sin. Therefore even this, which is your only ground of hope, can afford you but a trembling, anxious hope. Notwithstanding this, you have reason to fear that you will die as you have hitherto lived, hardy, resolute, incorrigible sinners. And if so, you know your dreadful end. You shall suddenly be destroyed. Your stiff neck shall suddenly be broken, and there will be no help, no remedy. And if you are indeed in so much danger, will you not now lay it to heart and endeavor to escape while you may? Alas, shall this admonition also, this admonition for your disregarding all past admonition, be lost upon you like the rest? Oh, will you not at length take warning before it is too late? Perhaps a voice that now warns you may not long sound in your ears. But, oh, let me find this day that those whom I have reproved in vain for so many years regard me at last, and submit, and yield. Then, and not till then, you will be safe from the vengeance denounced in this alarming proverb. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. From the Sermons of the Reverend Samuel Davies The Puritan Hard Drive and the free online Puritan Hard Drive videos are available at puritandownloads.com 
along with many other Puritan and Reformed books for as little as 99 cents each. Hello and welcome to this introductory video for the Puritan Hard Drive by Stillwater's Revival Books. You will soon see why the Puritan Hard Drive is a technological revolution in Puritan, Reformation, and Covenanter studies. For over 25 years, Stillwater's Revival Books has provided the worldwide Christian community with the finest in Puritan and Reformation resources, including classic and contemporary printed works, inspirational sermons, audiobooks, and videos. In recent years, our collection of great Christian works has more than doubled, growing to a library that would occupy nearly 140 CDs. The Puritan Hard Drive is a tremendous library of over 12,500 Christian resources on an external hard drive that fits easily in your pocket or purse. It features the works of nearly 800 classic and contemporary authors, including John Bunyan, Matthew Henry, Jonathan Edwards, Thomas Manton, Samuel Rutherford, and Charles Spurgeon. Timeless works like the English Hexapla, Fox's Book of Martyrs, Sketches of the Covenanters, and from the Puritan Divines, the complete 34-volume set of the Puritan Fast Sermons. Many of these books are rare and classic titles unavailable anywhere else. Over 25 years in the making, the Puritan hard drive is simply the most extensive Christian collection ever released. The Puritan hard drive comprises more than 12,500 Puritan and Reformation resources, over half a million pages of great Christian books, more than 10,000 sermons and audiobooks in MP3 format, providing years of listening enjoyment, over 70 videos, all in all, a library of thousands of exceptional works accessible and affordable to everyone. Included on the Puritan hard drive is a custom search engine that makes it easy to find, browse, and organize the resources in your library. And much easier than trying to wade through a typical file directory on your computer. Connect the Puritan hard drive to any available USB port on your PC or Mac. The drive is self-contained, so there's no software to install or configure. Within moments, you can begin exploring the library by running the custom search interface. It's also a knowledge base with information about each work, including the author, title, description, keywords, and subject category. For you techies, this database contains over 15 million records of information. For all of us, that means we have an extremely powerful search and study tool. A list of all resources on the Puritan hard drive is available for viewing at any time. Here we see that the list of print materials contains over 2100 works. This view is ideal for browsing all documents or media files in alphabetical order by title or by author. The list is rather long, so using the search function of the knowledge base is the easiest way to find resources of interest to you. For example, let's say that my pastor recommended a book by James Henley Thornwell. I can search the knowledge base by author by typing his name in this field, or by selecting it from the complete list of nearly 800 authors provided at the click of a button. Clicking the search button executes the search and immediately returns a list of all resources by this author. 
In this case, I've quickly found the book that was recommended to me. Clicking on the green icon opens the resource, allowing me to begin my reading. Further details about any resource can be found by clicking on the book cover icon, which opens the resource detail page. From here I can browse the details of this work, I can add and save my own notes about it, and open the resource for reading, listening, or viewing. Your search capabilities don't end there. The majority of the rare, classic works on the Puritan hard drive now contain an embedded index. This means that the actual text of these resources is now fully searchable for the first time in history. Enter a search term in Adobe Acrobat Reader. In this case, a search for the word scripture yields instant results. Having searchable text also makes it possible to highlight, copy, and paste the text into another document, such as a sermon, a lesson plan, or a school paper. Less time spent on research means more time for reading, studying, and appreciating the resources in your library. Just another reason why the Puritan hard drive is a technological revolution in Puritan, Reformation, and Covenanter studies. Thank you for watching this introduction to the Puritan hard drive by Stillwater's Revival Books, serving Christians worldwide for over 25 years. Join us in our other videos as we demonstrate even more features and functionality of the Puritan hard drive. For more information, visit us on the web at puritandownloads.com. Until then, be well, and God bless.